Last week, we began a new series called Faithful, Fueling Your Faith in an Empty World. Faithful, Fueling Your Faith in a World on Empty. And we're going to explore over the course of these next few weeks five catalysts, five things that we can do, five things that urge us on to long-lasting, enduring faith. And one of the things I said last week is that we're all coming to this series and come to faith from different angles, right? Some of us may be keeping the faith where we're pretty strong in where we are in our relationship with God. And then there are those of us who have little faith, oh, ye of little faith, and we're just like, I have some questions. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm showing up anyway. And maybe I'll see what God can do. And then there may be some who are like, what faith? That it was probably represented in a poor way to you, and maybe you felt like this faith thing wasn't meant for me. I don't, I don't see the fruits of following this God. And wherever you're coming from on the spectrum, like, that's okay, because um, we believe that God still has something for us, and we can still learn how we can have this enduring, lasting faith. Because when we look around at people in our lives, some of them seem to have this strong, not, not necessarily perfect but this strong, enduring, this lasting faith, this thing that they hold on to. What is it about these kinds of people? What is it about their lives? What is it about them that we can learn from when it comes to faith? Speaking of learning, um, there's a lot of Christian content out there, right? There's a ton of stuff out there in the world for us to consume. And Johannes Gutenberg, the inventor of the Gutenberg Press, he would be just flabbergasted by the amount of content and books and stuff that we have and how fast it's distributed, right? I mean, we have books, we have podcasts, we have social media pages, influencers, all of these beautiful things to have that can teach us and inform us about the Christian faith and how to live this life in Christ, But sometimes I wonder if all of that knowledge comes at the cost of practice. Sometimes I wonder if we're so inundated with information that it's sometimes hard or we forget to actually put that information into practice to live it out. You know, the early Christians, um, they had a lot of diverse understandings about Jesus and a lot of diverse experiences with Jesus and stories that were told. And oftentimes they would compete to say, well, who had the right views, right? That this group over here, well, no, we actually understand Jesus better because X, Y, and Z, or no, y'all don't get it because we understand it this way. And they would oftentimes compete. And it was really only until the empire and the Constantine really put a stamp of approval on this organized Christian religion that there was really some semblance of a formalized belief system. And so the book of Acts, which the name alone should kind of tell you, it's the Acts of the Apostles, the things that Jesus' followers did after he left, right? They didn't always live up to the way in which Jesus called them to live, but they tried their best. Acts tries to chronicle the best way that they practiced their faith. And there were certain markers about this early Christian community that when people would look around, they would say, those people, they follow that guy named Jesus who was here. So let's take a look at just a brief passage from Acts. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. They devoted themselves, the early church here, to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. 
And everyone was filled with awe at many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere, some versions say generous hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So again, this is kind of giving us an idealized understanding of what the early church was really like. But again, they weren't perfect about it, but they were faithful to it, right? The early believers understood something that was very important. What John Wesley talks about is this both works of piety and works of mercy, Right? So works of piety are these, um, these practices that we do, these spiritual formation acts that we do, whether it's prayer, study, fasting. These things that enrich our individual faith. Right? And then we come together as a community for worship, for communion. All of these practices have been passed down throughout the generations. So that's works of piety. right? And then we have the works of mercy, which is personal ministry, caring for the sick, Visiting the poor, right? Visiting those who, and attending to those who are on the margins. And when we come together as a community, we practice seeking justice for the world and oppressing or, or, or uh, opposing oppressive systems whenever we find them. James chapter 1, verse 22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. And so today, I want to focus um, our time today on how we can have a practical faith. Now, a lot of times when we say the word practical, we think, oh, yeah, that's practical. It makes sense. But I want us to go beyond understanding it making sense up here, right, and, and how it is that we can actually use our hands and our feet to be practical with our faith in the world, how it is that we can live into the call that God has on our lives, I want to read from one of my favorite passages in Scripture. I preached from it a million times. And if you've heard me preach from it, it's okay. You can hear it one more time. Um, I, there's something so beautiful about this story that every time I come to it, I pick up something different. And that's what I love about Scripture is that it's the living Word of God, right, that is always breathing something new and fresh into us. So this is the story of the feeding of the 5,000 in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. And I'm going to walk through it as we go along. Mark, chapter 6, beginning of verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. And by this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it is already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Let's pause there for a second. So the disciples came back to Jesus and shared everything that they were doing in this period of time, the way in which they were ministering to people out in the world. But I think what we are going to see is that this call, this, this ministry that they were involved in was going to be put to the test, right? The strength of that call. 
The story really begins to pivot in verse 36 when they say to Jesus, listen, just send the people away. Let them go into the country towns and get something to eat. But compassion, and the word compassion here in the scripture, I've talked about this a lot. In the Greek, the word actually means a feeling that you have deep inside your gut, right? That, that, that there's something deep inside of you that moves you to act and to do something for someone else. Compassion leads us not just to do the works of piety, right, but to do the works of mercy as well. And what we see in Jesus is that the good shepherd will never leave his sheep physically or spiritually hungry, that the good shepherd attends to every need of his sheep. So reading on to verse 37, it says, but he answered, Jesus is saying to his disciples, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? First of all, I just thought about this. That, that is a very sharp and like sarcastic response to Jesus, right? It's just like, whoa, 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 like calm down, disciples, right? Here, Jesus, I think, really starts to challenge their response to the people there and to having compassion for them. And they're like, Jesus, we ain't got it like that. Like, send them people, let them go to KFC and get a bucket meal and share it amongst themselves. Like, we tired, right? And I think what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples there is that you shouldn't make somebody else's need somebody else's problem, right? Don't make somebody else's need another person's problem. If you can do it, rise to the occasion. Do the best that you can to meet the need wherever you are and with whatever you have. So that's what we go on to verse 38. Jesus asked them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said five loaves and two fish. It's not enough to just say or know that God provides, right? It's not enough to just turn your radio all the way up and be like, Jaira, you are enough. It's not enough to just sing the song, Right? Sometimes we actually have to seek out and take a look at what's already in our hands. Sometimes it just takes us a moment to just stop and realize what has God already provided me with. That go and see tells me that it might actually take some time. That you're not going to wake up one morning and always see it, but it's this constant practice. Again, you're going to hear me say this word a lot. This practice of gratefulness, of understanding the gifts that God has given us, the things that he has provided us with, Right? And then when we look at how the disciples, we're going to see that there's going to be a pivot here, that they would soon find out, as the hymn writer says, little is much when God is in it, right? So we're going to go on to verse 39. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the fish among them, and they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. What scholars notice, it probably was a little more if you counted the women and children, right? My, my favorite part of this story in the Gospels, right, is that they brought whatever it is that they had to Jesus. Whatever they could offer, they brought it to him. And they gave it to Jesus for God to bless, right? 
And then Jesus gives it back to them to distribute to the people, right? And this is what kind of really excites me about this passage is that when the meal is in Jesus' hands, the five loaves and the two fish, it's still five loaves and two fish. It's as the disciples were giving the food to the people that the miracle happens. Are you understanding me this morning? It's as they are distributing the food that the miracle takes place. And while it's not in their power to do the miracle, but it's God's power, the miracle doesn't happen without them. I wonder if you understand that the miracles in this world don't happen without you. I wonder if you understand that that it is God waiting for you to step up to the plate and say, use me, Lord, however you see so fit. St. Teresa of Avila, one of the great saints in the church, she said this, Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands through which he blesses all the world. What do you have that God can stretch? What five loaves and two fish do you have? Do you have a lot where you're in this space that you're keeping the faith and you have so much to give to the world that God can use your abundance to bring hope and healing to the world? Maybe you have a little, but I want you to know that God can build and multiply right from where you are. Maybe you don't have any faith. Maybe you don't have anything to offer. But that's okay too, because we serve a God who created the entire cosmos out of nothingness, out of chaos, out of the void. And God desires for you to cultivate a beautiful faith for God's glory. All Jesus asks is that you go and see what it is you have and you bring it to him. Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, and he's saying a lot of great things. He's teaching them about this new way to live, how to be in relationship with God and one another, a way that they had never heard about before. And there was a lot of information that Jesus gave them. There was a lot that he was instructing them on. But this is how the Sermon on the Mount begins to wrap up. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them, what, into practice, it's like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus is giving them all of this good information, this new way to live. And he says, now, do with this what you will. If you don't put it into practice, you will never see the fruit of it. You will never see how God is working in your life if you don't walk it out, if you don't journey with God. A quote that I used from last week, Frederick Nietzsche, he said this, the essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be long obedience in the same direction, there, thereby, results and has always resulted in the long run 
something which has made life worth living. Faith is this continuous practice, friends. This practice that we see the fruit of over time. And it's easy, I think, to build faith when things are good, right? Dry ground, when things are dry, the rock and the sand look the same. They feel the same. So you, could, you think you could build your house on the sand because it looks like the rock and sometimes it feels like the rock. But I think what Jesus is saying to his disciples as he's wrapping, the people that are listening to him, as he's wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying that we hold to our faith in every season. We build our faith in every season, right? And I think sometimes we do it like this. In the good seasons, right, we sometimes celebrate God euphorically. Like we're, we're jumping up. We're so excited about all that God has done. Or we take God for granted, <laughs> And then when the bad season comes along, sometimes we get really desperate for God or we just throw our hands up, right? And we say, I'm done with it. And we kind of flip-flop sometimes on these extremes. And I'm not judging, by the way, like I've been there, <laughs> like, and recently, right? We all go through these seasons. But it's practicing our faith along the way that brings us the strength to endure everything that we experience in every season of life. Faith isn't just handy for the extremes in life. It's really to help us to tune our hearts to God's presence in the green pastures and in the valley of the shadow of death, right? So as I begin to wrap up, I'm not going to be with you very long today. I want you to just feel the tension in your life. Just feel the tension in your life of where you are holding back in your faith. And we often know what it is, right? And the, but the question really is, why are we doing something about it? We know better, but why aren't we doing better? And I like to think that sometimes it could just be hidden in plain sight, the answer, right? Maybe it's you start with your favorite Bible verse. I thought about this earlier this week. Mine is John chapter 16, verse 33, where Jesus says to his disciples, in this world, you will have trouble, but have courage, take heart, for I have overcome the world. Here's the deal, just between us friends, right? I don't always live that. I don't always like how that sounds. I would much rather not have troubles to begin with, to risk manage, and to go around instead of go through. If, if the troubles could just not be there in the first place, we good, we Gucci. I'm, I'm good with that, right? So maybe it's a verse or a saying from Christianity that you love to say and quote. Maybe that's an opportunity for you to interrogate it and say, am I actually walking this out? How is this showing up in my life? Is this actually something that I'm living or it's just words? Right. And the second question is, what, what is the thing you feel that you have all figured out about God? What is the thing you think you have all figured out about God or faith? And by the way, it doesn't mean that we don't draw near to God so that God can draw near to us, right? What it means is that in the process of doing so, we don't think that we can control or become God, right? Reliance on knowledge alone will only lead us down a path of apathy where we don't have compassion for ourselves and for the world. James chapter 2, verse 26, quintessential verse about faith. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. The word spirit, whenever you see that in scripture, it, it, it denotes this idea that is the breath of God. 
that is breathing life into all things. The Spirit moves us to act, friends. The Spirit animates us and empowers us to live as the people of God called by God's name. So as we prepare to come to the table, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about how God always desires to feed God's children out of his abundance. That there is no one that the good shepherd would let go hungry, spiritually or physically. That there is more than enough room at God's table. And there's food for everyone at God's table. There's even food left over. The disciples had 12 baskets full. Each one of them could get a basket. Right? And what I think Jesus does throughout his life and his ministry is that he demonstrates this practicality of faith. He demonstrates with the bread and with the fish that he, he blesses them, he breaks them, and he gives them. What does it look like for us to be blessed by God, to say that we are God's beloved children, that we are called by God's name, and that we are broken not in the ways of destruction, but so that we can be shared and distributed with the world, that love can be spread throughout this world? What does it mean that our lives can be a life of being blessed, being broken, and being given for the sake of the world? Jesus mirrored that at his last supper, knowing what was to come. And he lived this all the way to the point of death and ultimately resurrection. May we live likewise. Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you that there is room. There is room at your table, and there is abundance at your table. And so, God, we come humbly today and we repent of our sins, of the ways in which we have failed to love you in word, thought, and in deed. We ask, oh God, that you would forgive us and that you would free us to be your hands and feet in this world because there are none but ours. May we not just know about you, but may we demonstrate you in the world. May we not just know about you, but may we experience you as we practice our faith to draw closer to you and to draw others into your love. May we be a people of praxis this week, oh God. Challenge us in the places where we are complacent, in the places where we would rather sit and not do, in the places where we think we have it all figured out. May you continue to show us the wonders of your mercy, your grace, your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.